on episode 491 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Dr. Lynn Rossi and discuss her book, Savor Every Bite, Mindful Ways to Eat, Love Your Body, and Live with Joy. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 498. Have you decided you're ready to make a change? To reclaim your health and fitness, the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is here for you. I'm your host, Alan Meisner. I'm an NSAM certified personal trainer with a specialization in corrective exercise and fitness nutrition. Let me be your coach as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. This episode of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is sponsored by Haka Life Nutrition, the maker of GLX3. I am really glad to have Haka Life Nutrition as a sponsor. Omega-3 is one of the few supplements I take regularly. But even with years of experience and having interviewed hundreds of experts in the health and fitness field, I have struggled to find a great solution until now. We all know farm-raised meat doesn't give us the right balance of omega-3 to omega-6 and that omega-3 helps reduce inflammation, which reduces joint pain and is heart healthy. Getting enough omega-3 isn't as straightforward as it should be. From the mercury in the fish to poor production controls, it's really hard to find a high-quality product that gives you what you're after. That is until GLX-3. Made from green-lipped mussels from New Zealand, this is the only natural source of ETA. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the full name. This version of omega-3 is particularly effective at reducing inflammation and therefore reducing joint pain. That's why my wife is taking it now. I take it for heart health. Go to hakalife.com forward slash 40 plus and use the discount code 40 plus to get a buy one, get one free deal on your first order, which gives you a two-month starter supply. GLX-3 is my go-to omega-3 supplement going forward. It can be yours too by going to hakalife.com forward slash 40 plus and be sure to use the discount code 40 plus for the BOGO deal. The other day I was chatting with a guy about weight loss and fitness and he said to me, now's not a good time. This is one excuse I hear a lot and it bothers the crap out of me. Time is not on your side when it comes to getting healthier and more fit. The aging curve continues to march on. Sarcopenia, Ostopenia, weight gain. If you're putting it off until the timing is perfect, I have a sad truth for you. There's never a perfect time. Life doesn't get in the way, life is the way. Losing weight and getting fit isn't a destination or a result of a project. It is a product of a developed, healthy lifestyle. Living life in a way that keeps you strong, energetic, and feeling great. You're listening to this podcast, which tells me you know all of this. You know what you need to do, but you're not consistently doing it. Maybe you start, but then something derails you. You're not getting the results you want, the results you need. If you're serious about weight loss, it's time to do something different, something more. It's time to invest in a coach. If you'd like to see if the 40 Plus Fitness 12-week gas program is for you, email me alan at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com. We can set up a call so I can understand where you are, and then we can put together a plan that will work for you. Don't let another day, week, month, or year pass with you getting the same you've always got. Get off the roller coaster. 
email me, alan at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com, and get the guidance, accountability, and support you need to lose the weight for good. Hey, Raz, how are you doing? Good, Alan. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Uh, Tammy has scheduled her uh, like an open house party for Lula's uh, on t- this Tuesday night as we're recording this, and so, or Tuesday afternoon from like three to six. So we're going to have a bunch of people coming over the house. So she's she's got Lula's ready to go, and now it's just making sure that we get the health department check and then you know mm-hmm. figure out how we're going to take credit cards and set up our online booking. So now it's more of that back office stuff. She's, she's oh, got, yeah. the, she's got the front of house ready. <laughs> wow. How exciting. That'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. So um, she's had some uh, monthly guests, you know, longer term guests come in and that's mm-hmm. given her some feedback on, you know, this and that. And uh, so she, we picked up on a few things and then found things, you know, it's like, if you don't go up there, you don't know things don't work. And so right. you know, they went and they said, you know, yeah, the, the, the microwave works, but it doesn't warm the food. And I was like, hmm. I was like okay, well, I would classify that as not working, but they're basically yeah. saying that the light comes on and it twirls around, but it's not mm. heating it up. So we had to buy a new microwave and then, uh, the, um, what was it? The blender had to be, uh, redone or cleaned. And mm. so yeah, little, little tweaks and things like that. We had to do up there to just get that uh, a little nicer. And we learned it by having guests. So it was better to do that when we had the longer term guests uh, going. Mm -hmm. So she'll be ready. We're going to take a trip back to the States in September. Cool. And then when we come back, it's like all bore. Let's, let's get these guests in here and let's open up. So we'll open up in October uh, as we get everything done, you know, health, health check Mm -hmm. and the credit cards and all of that. Sweet. That sounds awesome. How very exciting. Yeah, it is. Good. How are things up there? Good, good. I am exhausted today. (laughs) Mike and I ran a half marathon yesterday and it was incredibly hot and even more humid and it was all hills. (laughs) It was probably the trifecta of things that are just my nemesis. So, uh, so I'm just chilling out today, recovering and resting and hydrating back up again. So I'm exhausted, but, but totally satisfied. It was a wonderful, miserable day. <laughs> well, do, do you feel like maybe you haven't completely gotten your bounce back since you did the ultra because it's, it's only been a few weeks since you did that. And like I said, I, I, I took off running every marathon I did. I pretty much didn't do any major training or any major mm-hmm. running for about a month after you know, mm-hmm. go, I go on walks and maybe a little jog here and there, but nothing, nothing like trying to throw in a half marathon. Right. And, and that's kind of been the case, you know, since, since the 50 miler, I took a couple of days off of no running at all. And then just a couple miles here and there. So I've kind of ramped up slowly again. I did a 10 miler, I think a week or two ago, I think it was. And then this would be my first 13 miler after the 50 and so, yeah, I'm pretty sure that I'm probably still rebounding from that. And, um, but I've hadn't had any formal training. I just will go run when I feel good enough to go run, which is a lot. Cause I run a lot, <laughs> but I keep my mile short, easy. I just don't go out with any specific goal just to let the run come to me. So this was actually, yeah, my first real big race since the 50 and long race, I guess, since the 50 and for sure. But also I think we had probably, I think it was about in the eighties and the humidity was it's thick. It was like fog. It was like 
breathing fog. <laughs> so it was just a miserable day. And then to add hills onto that, it just made it all the more challenging. So yeah, a little bit of both, I think tough, tough conditions, but also rebounding from the 50, but okay. yeah, still good. hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I am just drinking tons of water and electrolytes as well. Just keeping it going. Yeah. All right. Uh, so do you want to get into <laughs> the episode with Dr. Rossi? Yes, this will be great. Our guest today is a licensed clinical psychologist and author of The Mindfulness-Based Eating Solution. She developed Eat for Life, a research-based mindful eating program that helps you end overeating, appreciate your body, and savor your life. She is also the president of the Center for Mindful Eating. With no further ado, here is Dr. Lynn Rossi. Dr. Rossi, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. Now, I, I have a Facebook group uh, for the podcast, and it's a really awesome group. And occasionally, I will reach out and just message someone you know that's new to the group or someone that's been around for a while, and they'll say, hey, uh, what's something that you want us to talk about? What's something you want me to cover? And the topic of emotional eating, binge eating came up. And so I was really happy to see your book uh, called Savor Every Bite, Mindful Ways to Eat, Love Your Body and live with joy. And so I'm just really excited to be able to have this conversation with you because I think this is a, a topic that doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, most of the books that are out there for health and fitness are eat less, move more. Uh, you know, here's a diet, try this one, try that one, try this one, try that one. And it doesn't really get to the real crux of what's going on is this is not about our food choices. This is not about any of that. This is in our head. This is a mindset thing. And it is something that isn't won over by reading a book or trying a diet. Right. I agree with that. I definitely not trying a diet. Well, we know that 80 to 94% of diets fail. Okay. That's a yeah. big number, right? It might work in the short term. Sure. But in the long term, um, you're not going to get the kind of changes that you want. You're not going to stay with a diet because it's not really going to fit into your lifestyle. It's not going to, it's not going to be sustainable long-term. And so I teach mindful eating, mindful eating. It teaches you how to listen to your own internal signals about when to eat, why you're eating, how much to eat, when to stop. And we've really lost touch with those internal signals by putting all of our focus outside and hoping somebody else will give you the answer, will tell you what to do, will give you the magic pill, you know, and uh, it isn't out there. Right. I mean, the diet industry is making billions of dollars on people that keep looking outside of themselves for a way of coming into balance with their bodies in a way that's both nurturing and pleasurable and healthful and, you know, and creates well-being for you. It's all really inside you. Um, if you learn how to pay attention in a particular way, which is in the present without judgment and constantly just coming back to what's going on right now. That's a skill. That's mindfulness. That's a skill that can be learned. And it's really helpful to have somebody teach you that. It's You can't read a book and go, oh, yeah, I'm going to practice that now. I've been practicing for many, many, many years, and I practice it every 
day because it's not something you just say, well, I've done that. Now I go on to the next thing. It's uh, it's a part of your life. Mindfulness becomes a part of your life, a way of living, a way of being so that you're constantly being aware of, for instance, what you mentioned, the emotions that are arising. So when I teach people mindful eating, I don't just teach them how to pick up a fork and take a bite of food and put it in their mouth and taste it. But I really approach the whole person who shows up at the dinner table. The whole person that shows up at the dinner table has emotions like being overwhelmed, stressed, bored, happy, sad, angry, you name it. I mean, we all have these emotions because we're human. And oftentimes, people that come to my classes say that they engage in a lot of emotional eating. And those emotions then can lead to binge eating, right? Uh, And more serious issues that people can have around food in their bodies. So why are we reaching for food when we're sad? Well, that's one of the interesting things because, you know, I spend a lot of time talking to experts like yourself. Uh And some of the experts will talk about, uh, you know, what our ancestors would have eaten or how they would have lived their lives. And so we know, okay. They wouldn't have had couches and chairs and wouldn't be watching Netflix. Uh, we know that, okay, if they wanted to go for binge eating, um, it's, it's not the binge eating we're doing today. We have, over time, gotten to a point where we, we celebrate food. We, we celebrate with food. So sure. I pretty much name a holiday that you celebrate, and there's going to be a food that almost immediately hits your head. Okay. Yeah, and that's fine, right? So it's great to celebrate with food. I love to celebrate with food. I love to celebrate holidays with food. The thing is, is like people see these times as a time to bench. Here's the deal. I celebrate with food every day. I don't have to wait to a holiday to celebrate with food. I celebrate. I just celebrated lunch right? I made some guacamole. I had some blue corn chips. I had some fresh tomatoes from somebody's garden. That's a friend of mine, you know, and I sat down and savored like it was a holiday because, hey, every meal that we have can be a pleasurable experience. And if we know we can have the food that we want whenever we want it, we don't have to have it all now. What we live in is a culture that is taught us to deprive ourselves. You know, it's that binge deprivation cycle or diet deprivations, uh, binge diet cycle that we get in so that if you're given permission to eat because it's a holiday, boy, I better just eat it all now because I'm not going to be able to do it afterwards. And so we've developed this really unhealthy relationship both with ourselves, our bodies, and with holidays. You know, it's really a shame. It's like, well, first of all, why wait till a holiday to have some great food? Uh, but second, why then ruin the holiday with this overeating and binge eating and then feeling bad about it when you can just simply enjoy it? You might eat a little bit more at a holiday. I might do that, but it's okay because during the rest of the year, I'm not doing that. And I'm not waiting until the holiday to enjoy and celebrate with food. I mean, it's it's a it's a way that we get together and have community, you know, and we've lost the real kind of essence of that activity by making it too much about food and not about the experience altogether, the connection with friends and the sharing of meals and sharing of love. You know, it's become it's it gets gotten a little distorted. Yeah. 
I guess the challenge, and, and I, this comes up all the time, particularly with sugar, but um, you know, with other foods as well, is that it's very similar to other addictions like alcohol or drugs or things like that, because we're, we're eating our feelings we're, we're, we're there's an emotional response and then there's a, a food and then there's a guilt response <laughs> and then there's right. food. Right. Um, but we have to eat. It's not like I, I could say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm never going to drink another beer in my life. And I could, you know, get into a program, figure that out and get through the mindset of it, get through all of that and just abstain for the rest of my life. But sure. There's a vending machine probably within 100 meters of you almost every moment of your of your day, whether it's your pantry, <laughs> your freezer, or at work, a break room, or just walking around any public building, uh, the opportunities for you to have access to foods that you really know are not serving you. And but they call to you because they're they're generating uh this this desire based on how they've been set up to taste and crunch and salt and, and sweet. And, and so they've, they've figured out what we need. And it, so it, it becomes almost addictive. Yeah. So food is everywhere without a doubt. Food is everywhere, everywhere you turn. So one of the things that we've discovered in mindful eating is that when people engage in mindfulness uh, and increase their ability to be present uh, without judgment and with kindness and compassion, that their preferences change for food because they're finally tasting their food, right? I have people who um, I talk about the basics of mindful eating in my book, uh, which is a way of kind of bringing mindfulness to the table. And a part of that is uh, really tasting you know, really tasting and slowing down and savoring your food. And when you do that, you will begin to notice things about your food that you hadn't noticed before. Because most of us are multitasking when we're eating. We're not, we're not tasting. We're not really even savoring. So savoring requires two things. One, that you're present for it. And two, that you're actually experiencing it and, and noticing the pleasant sensations. A lot of food, so people come back to my, my class after one week of practicing. And I have people tell me, I don't even like what I eat. Nothing. I've had people say, I don't like anything I eat. I just hadn't noticed before. Uh, I know when I first started into mindfulness, I was a big Diet Coke drinker. Loved my Diet Coke. Well, I used to do a lot of things, right? I've done the drugs. I've done, I've done all of that stuff. And um, as I've grown in my path of mindfulness, um, the last thing to go kind of was the Diet Coke. because I didn't want to give up Diet Coke. I wasn't trying to give up Diet Coke, but I was on a long meditation retreat. I was about seven days, nine days. I was, you know, in silence doing meditation and, you know, walking and eat, you know, eating. There was no Diet Coke there. So I didn't have it for nine days. As soon as I got out of the retreat, I tasted it for the first time and I couldn't believe it. I thought, that's really bad. That doesn't even taste good. Why am I drinking this? And so I haven't really wanted it since, but I had not been able to taste it. And so our, our taste buds really do get accommodated to a lot of chemicals, a lot of preservatives, a lot of sugar. And when you like, I was away, I was away from it for just nine days. And I came back and I was astounded at how my taste buds began to wake up and to really go, well, ooh, that doesn't even seem good. Or, you know, maybe it takes a few extra weeks for some people, but it undoubtedly by week 
seven or eight. I have a 10 week class and um, people come back and go, I, I, I thought I liked this. And, and I, I'm kind of grieving that I don't like it anymore <laughs> because it has been such a friend, but they discover new ways of eating. So mindfulness helps us to really taste, to really be present. Mindfulness also helps us how to be with difficult emotions. So I think the number one thing mindfulness does for us is teaches us how to be with difficult emotions without needing to turn to food, alcohol, shopping, you know, overdoing whatever it is you overdo. Yeah. <laughs> I just named my favorite, you know, I mean, <laughs> but, um, but you don't have to do that. Mindfulness gives you an alternative and it teaches you how to be with emotions without doing anything. It's like emotions don't need to be fixed. Who knew? right? Emotions are actually there to tell you something, to teach you something um, as part of the human experience of being alive. So when you lose somebody, you grieve. That's important. You need to feel that. When you get hurt by somebody, you need to feel that. You need to explore that. You need to like let that move through your body and your heart and your mind and accept it and acknowledge it. And then it passes through. We've not been taught, you know, I like to quote, I like to quote Dr. Um, Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, which may date me uh, or many others. But um, Mr. Rogers was this, had this great show uh, on television for kids, teaching them how to deal with everyday circumstances. You know, I think when President Kennedy got shot, he talked about death with them, with kids, you know, and like how to process what was going on in the world. And we don't do that very often. We, we try to protect people, protect children. And so they grow into adults that have not learned how to process their emotions or be resilient with their emotions. And then they turn to other things for to help make them feel better that might temporarily work, but then in the long term creates a problem all of its own, right? So emotions are mentionable, they're manageable, and they're natural. And mindfulness, it takes some work, right? It's not like it's going to just be easy, but it, it does work if you practice it and you learn to go, okay, this is what wants to be here right now. This is anger or this is sadness. And you label it. Most people don't know how to label their emotions, and we know from research that when you can label your emotion accurately and really just stop, it just takes a second to stop and go, well, what am I feeling right now? You know, instead of reaching for, you know, the Snickers bar, uh, you know, what am I feeling right now? Oh, I'm feeling disappointed or uh, I'm feeling frustrated. And automatically, if you get the emotion right, you'll begin to feel a little bit of relief. Because somebody heard you. It's why we go to therapy, right? I'm a, I'm a psychologist, you know. People come to, to therapy because they want somebody to hear how they feel. And we can do that for ourselves. Now, um, I want to back up just a little bit. We okay. will get back into the emotions <laughs> and feelings because I, I, I do feel that you know, you've got to get to, the, if you're going to solve a problem, you got to get to the root. Um, and so we will get there. Uh, but back to the mindful eating and, uh, you know, being friends with food. I think what mindful eating does for me or did for me was it gave me the opportunity to pick better friends to be around. 
Uh -huh. um, and then you have the acronym and I'm, I'm coming from a corporate background for years. So I just love acronyms. I've, I've fallen in love with ac acronyms and lists, but uh, <laughs> so you put those in a book and, and you've got me. Um, okay. And so you have this uh, acronym called basics, which is basically a, an approach uh, for how we can do mindful eating. Can you quickly walk us through what basics stands for? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so basics we start with a b so b stands for breathe and belly check it's important to do both so let's take a deep breath right now <sighs> maybe even take two <laughs> so when you take a deep breath you're activating your parasympathetic nervous system okay there's two parts to your nervous system sympathetic parasympathetic Sympathetic nervous system is your fight or flight response. It's what's happening when you're stressed. And there's a lot of stress eaters out there, right? So you want to breathe. You want to activate your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest response. So if you're eating with your, when you're stressed, your body's not even prepared to take in food. Your stomach isn't really activated. It's shut down so that you can fight or flee, right? And so you want to take a few deep breaths, when you do that, you begin to relax. The body begins to kick in the stomach and um, the processes that will be needed to, to digest food. And then belly check. Are you hungry? Are you physically hungry? If you're, if you're hungry, what is it that you'd like to eat? What would satisfy you right now? Take a moment to kind of think about that. If you're not physically hungry, explore what's going on. Because if you're not physically hungry, food is probably not the answer. Um, so there's something else. Maybe you're stressed. Maybe you're bored. Uh, maybe you're wanting to take a break, whatever. And, you know, this habit is to reach for food. If you're not physically hungry, think about what's happening and how better you can approach what's happening with something besides food. Okay. Uh, on, a, on a general basis. I mean, there's going to be times we eat when we're not physically hungry. That's okay. It's not a rule. Um, but in general. Right. The body wants to be fed when it's hungry, not so much when it's not hungry. And then pick what you want. Pick what you think is going to you know, satisfy your taste buds. Allow yourself to have whatever it is that you want in the moment and then assess it. A stands for assess your food. What does it look like? What does it smell like? Um, what, um, you know, where did it come from? Is it really highly processed or is it less processed? Not to be judgmental because there's no good or bad food, but we want to be aware. We want to be conscious of what we're putting into our bodies. So we're making a conscious choice about what that is. Does it look appealing? Does it look like, oh, yum, I want that. Or, oh, yuck, I'm so sick of that. You know, assess your food. And then S stands for slow down. Uh, in my many years of teaching mindful eating, I ask this all the time. And about three-fourths, three-quarters of us eat too fast which means that you've eaten, um, you're finished with the meal, you're going on to the next thing and you've not even registered hunger. You don't remember what you had to eat 20 minutes from, you know, from, from the time that you ate. And so you really want to slow down and savor. You want to put your fork down in between bites. You want to you know, chew thoroughly, which is another one of the basics. Um, you really want to take your time because when you do, the body can begin to register fullness. If you eat too fast, your body doesn't have time to register that it's getting full. And that's the signal to stop eating. 
not when the plate is clean, but when or when there's no more food anywhere in the environment, but when your body has had enough, it will tell you it takes about 20 minutes to register that. And then I stands for investigate your hunger throughout the meal. So particularly halfway through, I ask people to stop. Right. Because sometimes we can start slow and then start speeding up. And I'm like, okay, stop halfway through, check in with your belly and see, are you still hungry? How hungry are you? How satisfied are you with this food? Um, And just do kind of a brief check in to notice what's happening as you're eating Um, and really paying attention and being guided by those satiety signals as when to stop eating. Okay. And then C stands for chew your food thoroughly. I love this one. Mm, Chewing is one of the most important things that we do when we eat. And a lot of us just take a couple of bites, gulp it down, right? And so taking your time and chewing each bite until it's broken down will keep you from having a stomach ache, number one, (laughs) because your stomach doesn't have teeth. Right. So when you chew thoroughly, your stomach's not going to have to work as hard. And I've heard of people really overcoming, you know, digestion issues just with this part of the basics. And also when you're chewing food thoroughly, you're sending signals to the brain that you're eating and that you're going to become, you know, start feeling full soon. It's great for your teeth health. Um, It's also great. And this is my I think my most important point on chewing is that. When we chew thoroughly, the food is being partnered with the saliva in the mouth. It's being, you know, and taken into the body as nutrition, right? And guess what? When the body's been nutritionally fed, it tells you it's had enough. So that's why when we eat more highly processed foods, the body isn't getting as much nutrition some of the time. And so it's not feeling like it's been fed. And it's why we want more food. If you can eat a whole meal, And if you haven't eaten a meal that has any nutrition in it, like is there some food that's pretty empty, then the body is probably going to tell you, I'm sorry, I'm still hungry. I don't care how much food you put into my my belly. I don't feel like I've been fed in, in the way that I need to be fed. And so you can begin to feel that. You know, I feel that at family reunions, right? Because I eat pretty good. You know, I love, I love. Uh, to go, you know, I love good food. I love, you know, whole food. I love the food that makes me feel good, right? Which is less processed. It's just how my body, you know, reacts to food. And when I go to like a family reunion where, you know, the food might not be as, you know, uh, up to my, up to my standards, um, I, I can eat a whole plate of food and I, I'm still hungry. And I notice that I'm hungry, but I'm like, man, you ate a whole plate of food. I'm like, I know, but I'm still hungry. So, you know, it's 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 something to just start paying attention to. And the more that you chew, even like it, particularly if, you're pro- if your food is more processed, make sure you chew it. Make sure you chew it thoroughly so you get every little bit out of it um, that you can so that the body is getting the n- nourishment and nutrition that it needs. And then the last one is my favorite. It's savor. Savor every bite. Savor, you know, savor, savor. I love food. I love to eat food. And I love, you know, so savoring is a big part of the eating process. I think it's a time that we can have every day, three times a day, at least, where we can have a pleasurable experience and enjoy it and, you know, see that as an important part of our lives. Absolutely. And, and the reason I like a lot of those is, is just as you said, 
the digestive process actually starts before you even put the food in your mouth. So you're talking about the assessing and just sitting there for a moment and knowing what your body needs and then sitting down, looking at it, smelling it. You're, you're already digesting that food. You're, you're teaching your body that, okay, we need to start firing off some different enzymes. Some hormones need to start, get to work. Uh, we've got some food coming in and then just like you said, the chewing and slowing down, uh, gives your body the time to react to what you're doing. You get the full nutrition out of that food. And you're absolutely right. When you're getting proper nutrition, you by nature eat less. It's, it's just a magical formula. Our body was built to do, uh, it wants the nutrition it wants. And if it does, if it's not getting it, it will send hunger signals. It will keep you going. And the other side of it is if you're not getting the nutrition you want, then your health is impaired. And if your health is impaired, then your brain is impaired. And if your brain is impaired, then dealing with emotions and feelings and, and, and stress and all that becomes that much harder. This episode of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is sponsored by Haka Life Nutrition, the maker of GLX-3. You know the benefit of omega-3, reduced inflammation, which helps with joint pain and heart health. And you know you're probably not getting enough from your diet. But then you read about the mercury in fish, or how the fish oil supplement you bought at Costco or Walmart might be oxidized and rancid. Not good. Then you look into a plant-based solution and find it isn't very bioavailable, or creole oil, which is much more expensive and isn't really sustainable. GLX-3 is very different. It's from sustainably farmed, green-lipped mussels in New Zealand. The 17 omega-3s found in green lip mussels include ETA, which is not found in any fish oil. What is ETA? Not to bore you with the science, but it has been shown to be very effective at reducing inflammation and pain. Haka Life Nutrition has paired this oil with New Zealand olive oil and vitamin E to make a very unique omega-3 supplement. I think it's brilliant. Mussels are at the bottom of the food chain and have a short lifespan, so they aren't as susceptible to mercury contamination. And they don't starve out other species when they're farmed in open water. Haka Life Nutrition is meticulous about their sourcing and encapsulation of GLX-3. Each bottle is traceable all the way back to the place, date, and time of harvesting to ensure you get the best quality omega-3 product on the market. They offer a full 90-day guarantee. Go to hakalife.com forward slash 40 plus and use the discount code 40 plus to get a buy one, get one free deal on your first order, which gives you a two-month starter supply. GLX3 is my go-to omega-3 supplement going forward. It can be yours too by going to hakalife.com forward slash 40 plus and be sure to use the discount code 40 plus for the BOGO deal. You have a, um, uh, another acronym it's, it's not yours, but you, you borrowed it for this, uh, this book and, uh, it's called rain. Um, oh, yes. And, and so rain is a tool, uh, that we can use to kind of get an idea between the difference between emotions and feelings and understand what we're doing in our actions. Uh, can you talk a little bit about emotions and feelings and then walk us through the rain process? Yeah, so in my book, I talk about the difference between emotions and feelings. So feelings, um, from the Buddhist perspective, 
Well, okay. So I, I don't know which, which aspect of emotions and feelings you wanted me to cover, but, um, and we use those words interchangeably, right? So when we're talking about feelings in the Buddhist perspective, uh, and I bring this into my classes a lot, is that it's, things are experienced as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, right? And so Buddhism breaks it down into those three categories. And it teaches, a, teaches us a lot about how we react to experience. Because if something's pleasant, we want more of it. If something's unpleasant, we want less of it. And if it's neutral, we tend to fall asleep. Right. And so we can become aware of those patterns. Those are natural, normal patterns, but we don't have to act out on them all the time. Right. Just because something's pleasant doesn't mean that we need to keep, you know, I need more, 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 because then that more is going to turn out to be something unpleasant because we've overdone it. Right. So what we want to do is just when something's pleasant, we want to enjoy it and let it go. When something's unpleasant, we want to experience it and let it go. And when something's neutral, actually, I think it's important to pay attention to neutral because I kind of see that as contentment. Right. I find a lot of contentment when I'm not being pushed and pulled by pleasant, unpleasant, pleasant, unpleasant. We're pushed and pulled constantly in this culture with things that are screaming at us to pay attention to them. You know, it's like, oh, here I am, this shiny little thing over here, you know, or the, you know, or the vending machine or whatever it is. Come, you know, come get me, you know, and we can know that the brain is way is work is is wired that way to do that. And with mindfulness, we can step back and not be engaged in that constant being pushed and pulled by unpleasant and pleasant all of the time. Okay. Emotions are natural, uh, naturally occurring um, experiences or feelings that come up as a result of experiences, right? So I have emotions that range from, you know, sad, mad, glad, angry, happy, confused. Um, I encourage people to become very familiar with lists of emotions so that you become more familiar with, with what they are because we don't have a, most people don't have a very big vocabulary. Um, you ask them how they are, they go, fine. You know, it's like, well, okay, that's not a feeling. Um, but, you know, there are just a lot of feelings that we can begin to explore through the practice of RAIN in particular. We can explore the ones that are most difficult, right? So RAIN uh, is a meditation, but it can also be used just without being in meditation. You can work through the different steps of RAIN um, and, and learn a lot about the emotions that you're, you're experiencing and getting some distance from them. So the R of RAIN stands for recognize. So you want to be able to label the emotion that you're having. Like I said earlier, when you label it, if you can label it, you can, if you can name it and label it, you can tame it. Okay. And Research shows that there's all kinds of processes that go on in the brain that when you accurately label an emotion, there is a, the amygdala is dampened. Okay, the amygdala is the part of the brain that is reacting to emotions, right? And so you kind of dampen that down so you're not as reactive. Um, you get a little relief automatically from labeling it. A stands for accept and allow, right? We don't resist it. We put the welcome mat out for it. Oh, sadness. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but, you know, like, like you invited it in, let it come in, let yourself feel it, let yourself acknowledge it and say, the sadness is here right now. Okay. This is what sadness feels like. 
or whatever emotion it is. Allowing instead of resisting. What you resist persists, right? What you allow fades away. And so allowing is, is also a really important part of the process and one that we're not very skilled at as a, as a whole. And then I stands for investigate. How does the sadness feel in my body? Right? Can you just bring your attention to your body and notice, well, I'm feeling a little sluggish, a little tired. I don't have much energy. I feel a little slumped over. Um, and then what thoughts are going through your mind? What stories and beliefs are you telling yourself about the sadness? Because that's what's going to keep the story going. Oh, I'm, I have no friends. I'm never going to have any friends. You know, my life is never going to go the way I want it to, blah, blah, blah. Whatever the story is, notice the, the story and then begin to not buy into it as truth because thoughts are not facts. They're just thoughts. And you can begin to ask yourself, well, what else is true? Right. Is there some other way of looking at this? How is this impacting me to believe this particular thing? And, you know, there's parts of it that may be true, parts of it that may not be true. Begin to kind of just investigate it and tease it apart a little bit instead of just letting it be this thing that has you gripped by, you know, in the clutches. And then once you've investigated fully, then you can move into N, which is non-identify and nurture. So we don't want to identify with the emotions as who we are. I am not sadness. There is sadness passing through, right? If I can see sadness as something that's just moving through my experience, I'm not always sad. You know, sadness comes and goes. There's moments I'm happy, moments I'm sad. And in fact, there can be moments of happiness in the midst of sadness. You know, it's like it's not, don't allow it to become this big thing that completely encompasses you and puts you into a box. And then stepping back from it, you can even like see the story as a movie going across the screen. I kind of like that analogy, right? It's like, so here's the story. You're watching it like a movie, movie, and I can be a witness to it and let it pass through and feel it and let it go and then bring kindness to myself, right? Because ouch, sadness hurts, right? And it's not to say that these things aren't going to have an impact because they do, but we can bring kindness to ourselves. I always bring my hands to my heart when I'm talking about this because it's just this beautiful way of telling your body that you're listening, bringing your hands to your heart and saying, wow, I'm sorry. That's really difficult. It's, you know, sadness hurts. And what can I do to best take care of you right now? You know, do you need to go take a hot bath, light a candle, call a friend, journal, uh, meditate, go on a walk, go into nature, um, take a bike ride, whatever. There's so many things that you could do um, after you've gone through that whole process to then engage in self-care. You know, in mindfulness practice, there's kind of two parts to right effort. And the first part is to recognize when something difficult has arisen. Right. And so we acknowledge it. But we don't want to like just like sit in it forever. We then want to cultivate what's skillful. We want to cultivate what's going to bring joy into our life. We want to cultivate the other things that can balance the sadness or that can balance the difficulties and take care of us when the difficulties arise. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I was reading through that section of the book, and uh, one of the cool things that you had in the book is at the end of each chapter is the savoring practices that help you kind of put some of this in 
motion. And I'll tell you, this is not something that's one and done. You're not going to say, okay, I've got this little tool now, and now all my problems are going to go away, and there's not going to be any more Hagen Dazs nights for me. Uh, that's that's not how this is going to work. This is going to take some some training, some time. Uh, to make this kind of a natural, a more natural approach to what you do. Uh, but I would say one of your areas that you got into, I am a little bit more skilled at, and that's movement. Um, can you oh, talk, yes. Can you talk about how movement can help us with some of the issues we have with emotional eating and bored eating? And I love movement. Um, in particular, I love yoga. Um, so I do talk about yoga in the book, but any kind of movement, right? So everybody can find a kind of movement that feels delicious to them. I would say, move your body in ways that feel delicious. Because if, if you hate it, you're probably not going to do it, right? So really find some way of moving your body um, that that doesn't injure you, right? That's not going to injure you and that you can enjoy. And maybe there's ways to increase the enjoyment by doing it with friends or, you know, um, there's lots of things that you can do to, to increase your enjoyment of movement. But it's so important. Your body wants to move. Like if you checked in with your body right now, I can guarantee you there's probably some stress, right? So right now I would love to reach my arms up over my head and I will. Okay. And take a deep breath. Oh, I feel so good. And then bring them back down again and just roll my shoulders back. Right. So I'm listening to my body. And I think if you listen to your body and learn how to respond to it, you'll notice that it's like, hey, it wants to get up and move. It wants to go outside and garden or it wants to go on a bike ride. And that Try out a lot of things because the body does want to move and you're, you will feel happier and healthy and you'll be healthier um, if you learn the ways to move your body that's going to be supportive. Yeah. For me, it's always been lifting weights. And what I found was, okay, so let's say I'm, I'm sitting in the office and my boss calls me in and he tells me something I'm, I'm really not happy about. And, and so I'm like, okay, now I'm really stressed out. And so my afternoon workouts coming out and I already had something programmed. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be doing these, you know, medium weights at a higher rep count. That's what I've been doing for the last six weeks. And that's my program. And I'm like, screw it. I'm, I'm going to four reps and I'm, I'm, I'm throwing a whole bunch of weights on that, that sled. And I'm going to do leg presses that are really heavy uh, because that I knew at the moment, that's what, that was going to help me get rid of that frustration, anger, stress, all the different things that were running through me. Mm -hmm. And, and it would, it would just the idea that, okay, I have control of my domain. I have control of this weight. Um, I have so much to be happy about, uh, is that I'm strong and I'm healthy and nothing he says takes that away from me. Yes. And so, yeah, movement for me is, is really the best uh, stress reducer you can have. Uh, and, and, you, you know, runners, runners will love because they get out, they get out and away and they're, they're in their own little world running, uh, lifters are kind of the same way. I, I completely turn off. I'm not someone who's going to listen to music while I'm working out. I'm not someone who's going to be having a conversation with someone. When I had a trainer, he knew, okay, we'll have a little conversation before the workout. We'll have a little conversation after the workout, but during the workout, Alan is just lift it. And then as my total head, even during my rest breaks, all I want to know is how much weight to put on the bar for the next, next set. And that's, that's it. And so that was my, uh, if you will, uh, moving, um, meditation. 
and it involves lifting weights. Others will enjoy walking in nature. Others will involve running uh, and maybe running in nature. Others, yourself, yoga, Pilates, mm-hmm. just any movement practice that you enjoy that you know is benefiting you physically while it's also giving you kind of this release. Yeah, and I like the idea that you do pay attention to your body because I, I believe that any time that we bring our attention to our body through movement and become embodied, uh, we're getting out of our heads and we're moving into our body. We live way too much up in our head. <laughs> and, you know, so anything to get out of your head, it's a dangerous place up there, okay? We want to move down into the body and just experience the sensations of the body and the breath as you move, as you lift, as you run, as you as you do whatever. And research shows that if you're doing other things while you move, you don't get as much benefit from it. Yes. Yeah. I completely agree. I'm yeah. all on focus. You know, what you, you made a very, very important statement there. Our head is a dangerous place. <laughs> uh, and it's a true statement. Uh, what I, what is really important about that is the reason it's such a dangerous place is because we really haven't embraced being our own best friend. This is true. And you had said in the book <laughs> that you were you were doing something or said something, and then your husband turned around and says, "You're not treating yourself like you're a friend." Well, he said, "You're you're don't treat my best friend like that." Okay, is what, yeah. is what he said, <laughs> and uh, it really stopped me in my tracks because I thought, if I'm his best friend, why am I not my best friend? Right? I am going to be with me twenty four seven every second of my life until I die. Do I want to be with somebody who's my enemy? Do I want to be with somebody who's bad-mouthing me all the time and telling me I'm not good enough and telling me I, you know, made all these mistakes and, you know, you're not this and you're not that and, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, whatever. It's like, that's not the kind of friend I want. So it really, I mean, not that I hadn't worked on this in the past already, but that particular statement from him was was very eye-opening. And I, I really make a concerted effort to be kind to myself, to forgive myself of my, you know, foibles and whatever. I am perfect in my imperfection, right? And I'm standing by that. You know, I think the thing is, is, you know, if you sit down, you really think about these, these really close friends. And I, I was interviewing someone, she's going to be on the show coming up soon. And she called it being, they called it being big friends, uh, not necessarily best friends uh, forever, that kind of thing. But just, just, you have this, this friend that you share everything with, and that's, that's got to be you too. But the, the core of it is this, if you thought about just a really good friend and, and more than likely, if you've been friends with them for a while, uh, at some point or another, they said something, they did something that upset you and you're still friends. Yes. And you don't sit there every day and say, well, I remember that time they did this and they always do that and they never do this. And they, all those words, you know, the words we really shouldn't use, never, always, can't, you know, right. uh, won't, those things. When, when you break it down, if you just took a moment and says, well, okay, this is my best friend because he listens to me. Mm-hmm. He's my best friend because I know if I'm in trouble, I can always rely on them to look after my best interest and the best interest of my family. And so you you look at those characteristics of what you love about your best friends, and then you turn to yourself and you look in the mirror and say, okay, I know you'll always have my best interests at hand. I know you'll always take care of my family. I know you're always going to be there for me and you're always going to listen to me. 
you mm-hmm. don't have a choice. Uh, if I want to talk to you, you're going to listen. But if we started using the right words, the way that we would talk to our friends and those inner movies you talked about, if they were directed by our best friend, yes. uh, they, they wouldn't go as bad uh, as they might seem to go. So I just really liked the concept of, of taking that step back and saying, is this how I would treat a friend? Right. And when we treat ourselves well, when we, when we have a positive relationship with ourselves, we, we do other things to take care of ourselves. So who wants to take care of their enemy? You know, it's like if you're treating yourself bad, it's like healthy behavior doesn't come from that. You know, behavior that's uh, of self-care and of kindness comes from a kind relationship. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think one of the ways you kind of get there is, is having that honest conversation with yourself and say, okay, what, what are the words I'm using? What is my inner dialogue? How often is it positive? How often is it negative? Uh, in some cases, I think that that rain model that you talked about earlier would be a great, okay, why did I just call myself an asshole? Why, why did I do that? <laughs> you know, why, why did I do that? Um, and, and then you sit down and say, okay, well, what was the situation? And you recognize it, you allow it and say, okay, well, okay. Yeah. I, I made a mistake. And then you forgive yourself. And then you're in a position to move forward and nurture yeah. the relationship and say, okay, I'm not always this way. I don't always do that. Um, mm-hmm. I just need to do it less and I need to be kind to myself. Uh, and that's, I've, I've learned. And, and so yeah. uh, again, the, the emotional part of it and the feelings part of it is hard. But I think being your best friend first is, is actually a really good way to kind of put that into practice on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? Well, so the first thing that I thought about uh, when you posed that question is to connect with your values and to set intentions based on those values, right? A lot of times we don't stop to consider what we value in life because we're so busy taking care of our to-do list. (laughs) You know, it's like the next urgent thing has to be taken care of. So I'm not thinking about what's really important. And what's really important to most people, I would say health is, physical health is probably way up there. I mean, because if you don't have your physical health, you're not going to have anything else, right? You're not going to be able to do much of anything else. And physical health, um, so I'm going to use that as an example. Probably everybody has physical health in their top five, right? You have family, meaningful career, whatever. Get in touch with that. But let's take physical health, for instance. And then you set intentions based on that value that are non-negotiable, right? So, for instance, doing something physically active every day is a value of mine because I value health and that's an intention that I've set. I don't have to even think about it. I'm not waiting for my head, my mind to tell me, oh, go put on your walking shoes and go, go for a walk. I have it scheduled in my day. I make it happen. Same thing with meditation. My body doesn't want to get out of bed in the morning, but I get my feet on the ground and I get to my meditation cushion and I, and I do my meditation because I set the intention and intention then begins to fuel me to doing the things that I've decided I want to do. But you have to decide that ahead of time because if you wait, 
you're going to be too tired, you're going to be too busy, you're going to be too whatever. And the mind is not exactly our friend when it comes to these kinds of activities. It's going to tell you everything about why you shouldn't. But if you've set the intention, you're more likely to get it done. I I believe strongly in intentions. Okay. So that would be number one. And they can be whatever you want them to be. Um, I think number two would be about movement. I do think physical activity is one of the best things that we can do for our bodies and finding something that on many different levels, it helps you're not just your physical body, but your emotions and your thoughts, everything um, is benefited through, through physical activity. So find what feels delicious and do it. <laughs> uh, and then lastly, I would really encourage people to relate to food as nourishment and pleasure, but not a fix. I'm going to repeat that. So relate to food as nourishment and pleasure, not a fix. Too many of us have thought, I'm going to fix myself somehow with food. I'm going to fix with this diet. I'm going to fix with this food. It's going to do this for me or that for me. And, you know, these superfoods are going to do that. I mean, okay, that's all fine and dandy, but let's relate to it as simple nourishment and pleasure. Um, Food is this amazing substance that we get to enjoy, um, but we've turned it into a chore. We've turned it into an enemy, right? And we're very confused about it because of all of this ways that we're using it, right? So instead of looking outside of yourself, look inside of yourself and listen to your body and what it tells you about what it wants to eat. And in general, eat in a way that both nourishes your body and you can enjoy and savor Thank you, Dr. Rossi. If someone <laughs> wanted to learn more about you, learn more about your book um, called uh, Savor Every Bite, or about the classes that you spoke about earlier, where would you like for me to send them? You can go to my website at lynnrossi.com, and everything is there. I've got meditations. I've got yoga practices that are all free. Uh, my Eat for Life class is starting in September, and there's still room in the class. So um, there's information on my website um, that tells you all about how to register. And I have varying levels of cost, depending on what your, you know, how, how, what your means are in terms of what you can pay for the class. Um, and the book is on there. And the book can be found wherever books are sold. So <laughs> Great. Thank you. Uh, Well, thank you, Dr. Rusty, for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. Well, it's been a pleasure to be here, and I highly uh, recommend being fit over 40. (laughs) It's the best way to be over 40. It is the best way. (laughs) Thanks, Alan. Welcome back, Raz. Hey, Alan. What a fascinating interview. I, you know, I guess I don't really take the time to realize how much emotion is tied into the way we eat, what we eat, when we eat. There's a lot more to it than I think even most people would think. Yeah. You know, over the years, I've had clients all the way across the spectrum, some that uh, just really didn't like food, um, to be honest, Uh, didn't find foods appealing. Uh, text, certain textures, certain tastes. And as a result, they had kind of put themselves in a very small nutrient box of just a, mm-hmm. a few foods that they would eat. And just getting them to try new foods was like pulling teeth, you know, but they needed that. They needed the nutrition because they wanted to, to you know, get a little bit uh, stronger. They wanted to put on some muscle mass uh, and they just weren't getting the proper nutrition to make that happen. 
Uh, and then I've had other clients that, you know, yeah, they're very emotional leaders, you know, get home in the afternoon and they're in the kitchen opening mail and anything that's within grabbing distance, cookies, cakes, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, they're eating. And mm-hmm. even though they know they're going to have dinner in another couple hours, um, you know, they're, they're just bored eating, stress eating, all, all the above. And so, yeah, I've seen it across the board, but, you know, we've tied, we've tied food to celebrations and mm-hmm. we've tied food to being a solution to emotional stress and, and boredom and anger and sadness and frustration. And so, yeah, I was glad I was able to find Dr. Rossi uh, and and talk about her book because uh, it, you know, she has the savoring practices in there. And if you're at any way, feel like you're emotionally affected and, and that food's kind of one of that, those bridge things, you know, then it's, it's something worth looking at. Oh yeah. You know, you discussed in there a couple of different um, analogies or acronyms. Uh, one of them being rain, the rain acronym about um, recognizing your, your emotion and accepting that emotion. And I thought that was really fascinating because, you know, we don't really, we don't really label the emotion in a, in the way that we could determine how to deal with it. You know, it, you know, we do, like the, standard cliche, we grab a pint of ice cream after a hard day of work or a breakup, you know, with a, a significant other or something like that. But we don't really think, you know, why, why do we do that? Why do we feel the sadness and suddenly the urge to have ice cream <laughs> or something to soothe that? Well, I, one, doing the RAIN protocol is, is not um, a walk in the park. It's, it's hard. It is really hard to take the time to have that kind of self-awareness to really put, to, to be that objective. So sometimes mm-hmm. you might need a little help, uh, to, to do that process. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, I've had guests on, you know, that in many cases have lost a lot of weight, had gone and done a lot of things. I, I forget Rosie, I think was her name. Um, I had Rosie on and she, mm-hmm. you know, she was she said she was an emotional eater. Mm-hmm. Um, she was really upset about food, but it, it made her feel comfortable. And mm-hmm. so it was just an escape while she was, while she was eating the food loved her, you know, it was basically where she put her, her head and she was so embarrassed about so many things and so emotionally tied to food that she was hiding food and she would eat her lunch in the stall in the girl's bathroom because she didn't want anyone else to see her eating. Mm. Um, and so a lot of people do have these, these deeper, deeper problems. And that's something that a counselor would be appropriate for, you know, as a, mm-hmm. as a coach, I can, I can explain to folks, you know, Hey, let's try eating this way. Let's try eating that way and see how you do. Uh, and, but most of the time I, you know, I, I don't have anyone that I would say, I've never had anyone that I would say, okay, you're, you're a disordered eater. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so no anorexics, no bulimics, nothing like that. Um, but yeah, uh, very much uh, binge eaters, uh, bored eaters, uh, sad eaters, stress eaters. Uh, mm-hmm. In a sense, I I was some of it a stress eater, uh, and then I found yeah I would you know when I was traveling and under a lot of stress, um, my meal choices at dinner were not as good as they probably should have been you know, mm-hmm. um, and that but that was just a function of I'm you know I'm in a hotel I'm in a bar I'm in a, another town. And so, you know, it was nothing just to sit there and say, okay, I'm going to go up to the bar, order a beer, drink the beer, order some food, 
but my mm-hmm. food choices would not have been what I would have eaten if I if I'd really sat down and thought about what I really need, what my body really needs, and giving it the food that would serve it versus, mm-hmm. you know, just what what looked good because I was in <laughs> that emotional state. Sure. Well, that brings up the next point. You guys discuss mindfulness in asking those questions or thinking about, you know, with that meal, does that meal really serve? Does it really answer that craving or does it serve you in that moment? You know, some people find it easier to follow a diet. You know, if you want to be vegan, those are easy rules to follow. Well, essentially, <laughs> but, but on the other hand, if, if you can't follow a cer- certain guideline, guideline or way of eating, then being mindful about what you're choosing to eat might be a better alternative. Yeah, but I, I would I would preface this: it's it's not it's not really a way of eating because you can you can screw up any way of eating. You can you can <laughs> yeah. you can be a vegan mm-hmm. and eat tons of sugar, yes, and tons of crap, and and you're a vegan and you're yes. overweight or obese as a Mm -hmm. vegan. So I wouldn't necessarily just classify any way of eating as good or bad uh, because there's still basically the understanding of nutrition and what it's doing for you. You know, nutrition Mm -hmm. is building blocks for your body. Nutrition is energy for your Mm -hmm. body. And just those two things primarily. Now there should also be enjoyment. And that's what Dr. Rossi is really big on is take the time to actually enjoy your food and taste it. Taste every bite. Uh, make sure you're tasting every bite. And you'll typically eat less because you'll you'll feel full in time and you'll recognize that. And so that's that's one of her big things. One of the first rules she had out there was to slow down, just mm. to slow down. But unfortunately, what happens is people don't really you don't really think that out and you don't plan. So you mm-hmm. end up in a situation. So it's like I didn't plan on this happening. And sometimes it's true. I mean, I have a, a client, he got called in for work, uh, for work, travel, and he wasn't planning on it. It was an additional two, three days of travel that he wasn't planning on. Uh, and he didn't have the food with him. He, he would normally have carried snacks and things like that with him. And he found himself pulled out of his element. There's mm-hmm. additional stress on that because it was, it was he was now out of routine. Mm-hmm. And then there was just the not not being prepared. And so that's going to happen. But oh, yeah. when you can be prepared, that's that's really when you want to put it together. So I'm a huge, huge fan of meal planning. And while we didn't mm-hmm. talk about that specifically, uh, Dr. Rusty and I didn't, um, meal planning is is kind of a way for you to make sure you have healthy meals available to you. And meal planning can go all the way to snacks, breakfast, all of it. Um, when I'm really, really strict on what I'm eating and I want to cut more weight, like I was doing when I wanted to do the Tough mutter, mm-hmm. um, I literally logged all of my food in the morning. I called it pre-logging. Oh. So I would get on my fitness pal and I'd say, okay, breakfast is three eggs and some ham. And that was my breakfast. And I'm like, okay, what is, I know what that is. And I say, okay, lunch, I'm taking the salad with some tuna this balsamic vinaigrette I just made. And, you know, that's, that's my lunch. What is that? And then I would look at what my dinners were. And if it was, if I'd done the pre-cooking on the weekend, I would have stuff in the uh, freezer. I could pull that out. 
And what I'd find is sometimes I could actually even have two portions because my macros and my calories and where I was. So as long as I don't go crazy and eat all the nuts I have in my office, um, <laughs> then, then I can have two, I can actually have two dinners. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that would be the case, but I would see it all in front of me before I started. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean something wouldn't come up and my boss say, I need you to stay late or, you know, a friend call and say, Hey, I'm really going through a tough time. Can we meet for drinks after work? Of course that stuff can happen, but mm-hmm. it doesn't happen nearly as often as you would think. And so if I just have my days planned out, it was really easy for me to just stay the course. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other side of it is when you're going to go to a a restaurant um, and you know, you're going to go to a restaurant, the menu is online. Almost every single restaurant has their menu online, go online, find their menu and pick out what you're going to eat before you get there. Uh, Because later in the day, when you're more tired, you're more fatigued, potentially more stressed and you're around other people, maybe it's easy to sit down and say, and then they start calling out specials and it's like, Ooh, <laughs> I'll have the special calzones and you know, all that. Whereas before you knew you were going to have the, the ribeye, hold the potato and just bring me extra uh, sauteed vegetables. And I have a side salad with that. And so lots of different kinds of vegetables, lots of kinds of greens and everything else and meat and it's all whole food. Right. Uh, and I can tell them, you know, if you put anything on the steak, what is it? You know, I want to know what's on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I say, just don't do that. Just, just cook a steak, you know? And, <laughs> and then I uh, said, so, you know, it's, to me, it's going to taste great. If you, if you just cook it to medium rare, it's going to, it's going to taste great and I'm going to love it. So, um, you know, if, but if I, if I don't plan that before I get to the restaurant and you get there and they start calling out the specials and someone orders the, this and someone else, or, Ooh, that, that looks good. That mm-hmm. sounds good. Now, suddenly you're emotional mm-hmm. and making a decision versus rational when you were sitting there looking at the menu right after you ate your lunch yeah. and you weren't hungry. You're like, okay, <laughs> right. I'm not hungry. I just ate my lunch. <laughs> I feel great. And uh-huh. I look at the menu and I'm like, Oh, I think I'm going to have the steak and vegetables tonight. Yeah. I love that whole idea of planning. I think the best part about it for me would be that you, you've made all your decisions for the day. So you're not caught unaware or by surprise by like the specials, like you said, but also then you have, you can devote your entire attention to the guests, to whoever you're sharing that meal with and not have to worry about what you're eating or how you just ruined your day's calories or something. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of comfort in that thought. And then just know your kryptonite, you know, if, if there's something there that, you know, <laughs> yeah. is going to be, you know, they walk out and they want, they've got the little, they bring out, the, I don't know if they do this anymore because of COVID, but they'll do it again. I'm sure mm-hmm. they used to bring out carts or a tray with all the mock desserts on it, you know, yeah. and you're looking at it and, you know, it's like, wow, that triple fudge chocolate lava cake thing looks really, really good. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, uh, you could say no to it because, because, you know that's emotional and and Mm -hmm. you, you know that, and you've already looked at what your macro plan was for the day. And if you're, if you're more mindful about your food, you're getting more satisfaction out of the food. Huge. And less need for the junk. Right. You know, cause at that point, you know, you're not hungry and you know, I, I had someone else on and I wish I could remember his name. Uh, but the basic gist was this is we have hunger and we have urges. Now, hunger doesn't go away. It just gets worse. Mm-hmm. Urges go away. Mm-hmm. So if you can keep yourself busy, 
urges go away. So if you mm-hmm. find yourself hungry for Girl Scout cookies um, <laughs> and you know there's a pack in the freezer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those Thin Mints, then it's like, hmm, I know I don't need to eat those cookies. I think I'm going to go for a short walk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's perfect to have a plan B, you know, just walk down to the mailbox or go, you know, run the block or something and come back or get out your craft project. <laughs> I like to uh, knit in the winter time. So, you know, if, yeah, have a plan B, if you've got an urge, there's gotta be something else around the house you could do or at work or whatever. That's yeah. a great idea. And then just looking for those other triggers, the things that happen, yeah. you know, like one of my clients, she, would get the mail when she came in and she'd go into the kitchen to open the mail. And as I said, everything's around her. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, well, if they have cookies and cakes, just tell them why you're on this plan. Because most of the time, the people in your household are your why. Um, So you tell them, I want to be here for my grandchildren. I want to be here for you. Um, I don't want to be diabetic and have my foot cut off and you have to push me around in a wheelchair. Uh, when we go places, um, I want to be there for you. So I need to do this for me, but I'm doing it mm-hmm. for you as much. And so mm-hmm. I need you to put the cookies in the cupboard, you know, one cupboard, that's your cupboard, put your stuff in there mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever you've got to do, you know, put a, put a, a little note on there with your why. So, you know, and your vision, your commitment. So you walk up to that ca- that cabinet and you're looking at that cabinet door and there's your why a picture of your kids and your husband or whatever sitting right there on, on the door, mm-hmm. you're less likely to open that door because your why is staring right at you. I love that. Yep. That's nice to have that reminder about how important it is to be as healthy as you can be for your loved ones and for your own future. And then, as I said earlier, if, if this is something deeper, if this is depression, if this is uh, bulimia or anorexia or something worse, if there's something really going on and these binges are truly out of your control, uh, get professional help. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, a lot of people don't think food addiction's a big problem because we're supposed to eat. And, <laughs> and unfortunately, you can have problems with food just as much so with any other thing that can be abused. Mm-hmm. And um, this is your health. And if you keep pushing yourself down the line, all the metabolic diseases are going to come your way sooner or later. And if you don't get the coping skills to deal with what you're going through, you're really going to struggle all the time. There's no diet that's going to get you out of this. There's no exercise that's going to get you out of this. And there's probably not even a personal trainer or coach, even like myself, that can get you out of this if you're truly having emotional difficulties. Talk yeah. to a counselor. I actually saw the other day where there were there's therapists. You, you can actually call in therapy now. You don't have to go to a therapist office. They will actually do teleservice. Wonderful. You That's know, so, so wonderful. So the help is out there and it's available to you. Um, so if you feel like you're in that type of situation, reach out. Oh, absolutely. Great advice. All right, Raz. Uh, well, that's guess that's a wrap for this week. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Take care. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Barbara Bollinger and Margaret Crane and discuss their book, Not Dead Yet, Rebooting Your Life After 50. Until then, have a happy and healthy week. <laughs>